Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. Each week, Andy shares interviews with talent development professionals, thought leaders, and experts to share best practices, learn about the latest trends, and find out what has been successful in the world of talent development. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you are joining me today for another great conversation and episode to help you up your game in talent development. That's our mission. That's what we're all about, helping people accelerate and improve their careers in the talent development world. And today we're going to be talking about a few different topics that I think are going to be really helpful for you. My guest today is Shana Sharan, and Shana is a multifaceted talent development professional with experience across multiple SaaS companies. Currently, Shauna is the head of talent management at New Relic, a software company based in San Francisco. And previous to New Relic, Shauna had multiple roles at salesforce.com and has experience in directing large, complex global programs across HR, including leadership, development, employee engagement, and performance management. And Shauna holds an MA from Columbia University, is a DISC facilitator, and she recently earned a certification in corporate mindfulness facilitation. Shauna, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Andy. So happy to be here today. I'm excited to have you on. Uh, you and I have known each other for a few years now, going back to working together at salesforce.com, which was my biggest client back in my corporate consulting days. And you were working in the employee success group there at Salesforce. And we've of course kept in touch. You've been a member of our talent development think tank community for some time now. And I know you have so much experience and passion around different areas in talent development. And I want to get into topics like psychological safety and wellness. Uh, I'm very intrigued by this certification in, in wellness, or sorry, in mindfulness, corporate mindfulness. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to start with a little bit of your background. You know, how did you get into the world of talent development and doing what you're doing today? Yeah, well, thank you for the question. Um, so I have very much of a checkerboard background, as you know. Um, I started out um, not even in the field of you know HR. Um, basically, I started out the world in consulting, and that was my first you know kind of gig at Salesforce was actually implementing software. Hmm. 
And I think the biggest thing that I, I learned from that experience was customer centricity and understanding the customer. And I feel like that has really taken me, you know, been very helpful into, into where I am now in HR and really understanding the value, you know, of the user and the user experience. So, so that was that was my first, you know, my first gig at Salesforce, and then I moved and and jumped into um, a role in marketing. And as you know, you know this best. You own your career, <laughs> so right. I was definitely getting uh, burnt out from being a road warrior. And I basically pitched for a new role in marketing. I said, you know, this this is what this is what Salesforce needs. Um, we need to market our services as it relates to our consulting services. So, so I pitched a role there and was able to, to move into the marketing world for a bit, spend some time there, really, again, focused on learning on, you know, how do you drive, you know, drive customers into, in terms of demand generation and all those things. And, and, and really, um, you know, how do you get into the essence of what the customer, where the customer's head is at? And so all of, again, all of those things really, really play a role even now in, in understanding what your employee needs, what's, what's the best possible employee experience you can give. So, so that was, that was really exciting. And then after that, um, you know, I got bored of that and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm done with marketing. Now I want to try something totally different. And I said, you know, I really want to explore the world of talent and the world of HR. So I talked to the HR business partner that was tied into tied and supported marketing and said, can I get a stretch assignment with you? There was no such foundation. There was nothing. Like you said, you own it, right? So I, I went out there, put myself out there, said, do you need any help with anything? I'd love to support you. So I did that. I loved it. And when there was a role, you know, that became open in, in um, the talent development world, I went ahead and, and went for it. And I had someone to back me up, uh, who was the HR business partner who I worked with. So that, that's kind of how I ended up in the world of HR. And I feel like I found my home and super, you know, been there for some time and, and yeah. don't look back. So I love it. Yeah. And I know you have so much passion for it. I'm curious, you were at Salesforce for, I think about 14 years, right? And I looked back at, at when you joined to when you left and the revenue for the company when you joined was probably around hundred million dollars back in 2003. And the time you left, which some of those years was when I was working there with you as well, they were a 12 or $13 billion company, right? So that's like mm-hmm. an 85 X increase, really <laughs> hyper growth. You must have experienced just a ton of growth during that time. What are a couple of your like lessons or takeaways from working for such a high growth company that's not just like a little startup that's growing fast, but like became a you know Fortune 200, you know major known software company around the world? Yeah, I mean it was it was a ride. It was a ride. I mean I grew up there, and I will say the biggest thing was having a growth mindset and having it being able to be agile because things change so quickly. I mean, I remember there was a year where I had five managers Mm. and I was so ready to just kind of like throw in the towel at some point, you know, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so frustrating. You know, I have to feel like I have to start my start all over again, prove myself all over again and all that. But I tell you it was well worth it. I mean, it was, Mm. it was, it taught me grit you know, it taught me resilience. It taught me so much about just not saying, not taking no for an answer. And, you know, I remember there were, there was a time where there was a Oracle conference that we were supposed to speak at and Larry Ellison canceled, you know, canceled on us. Mm -hmm. And we said, no way we're going to do it anyway. (laughs) 
So the whole marketing team rallied together. And 24 hours later, we were at this hotel doing our session. And it was just an amazing experience. (laughs) And so I think just being able to, you know, roll with the punches and really see the light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, you know, they are essentially a true, a true growth company and still are. So I think that's definitely a couple of things I would say I took away from that. Absolutely. What a ride. So, you know, now you're in this position running talent development in in another software company. And when we were going back and forth and, and planning for what we might talk about in this interview, you said something to me and sent me something that was something to the effect of how do we create an environment that allows people to show up and do their best work? And I really, I took a step back from that and thought, isn't that like the mission of talent development and talent management and companies in general and leadership in, manage, in, in general to create an environment where people can show up and do their best work? The question is, how do we do that? I know you've broken that down into some main components. And I'd love to dive into that because I think no matter what industry or type of work you're in, everybody can relate to that goal, that mission. I want to create an environment where people can feel safe to show up and do their best work. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is the foundation for, for, for so much there. And, you know, I think it's, it's, there's a couple things there. I think one is, I think it starts with well-being. You know, I think that's, that's the first thing is if you, you're going to show up and do your best work every day, you have to be well, not just physically, but also mentally. Right. And, and we've been through this pandemic and there's been a lot of good that's come out of it, right? With the future of work, we have all this now, now more flexibility. We've gotten more, we've gotten better on inclusion. Kind of everyone's kind of got a seat at the table. We were all on Zoom. We're all on the same playing field. But then there was also the bad, right? There's this isolation that people feel. There's stress. There's so much, you know, mental fatigue out there. And and I really don't think we can assume that that's over. And we really have to prioritize mental wellness if we want to see people do do their best work every day and really show up. And so I think that's, you know, that's foundational. And and some of the things I think that we have learned as, as a company, I will say, is, you know, how do we make sure, you know, that kind of that point of the playing field and everyone's on the same playing field how do we give employees better time off to really recharge themselves, right? I mean, historically, so many companies, you know, they say, okay, we have an unlimited vacation policy, take it when you want it. But, you know, you take you take a week off and you have thousands of emails that you've got to catch up on, right? right? And so you're really not disconnected, but there's something so powerful when, you know, you, you basically give everyone at the same time, the same time off during the work week. And that really allows employees to do things like, you know, maybe take a holiday or maybe run some errands, take their car into service, things that we don't have to like wait heavy lines on for on the weekends that we have to do. So really making time off, you know, predictable and structured in a work day is a huge benefit to that. And so I will say like New Relic is fantastic. We did that last year. We had a recharge week in August and we're doing it again this year. So really making sure that, you know, people are taking the time off and, you know, and, and, and really using it to, to, to recharge themselves. And, and I think they're, you know, you've seen this in the news too, right? Like Belgium has gone to a four day work week, you know, where they're basically making sure people are, you know, off, you know, potentially have one extra day off and and they're seeing that it's great engagement and great productivity. So, so you're seeing, you know, a lot there, I think around, around wellness. And I think a lot of companies are doing some different things around that. Yeah. Well, I'm seeing a lot of companies. Uh, I don't know how many, but it just from my experience working with different clients and members in our community who would say things to me like, 
our company gave us the day off for wellness or the whole company next week off for wellness because they've realized that if you just give people more vacation time or unlimited vacation time, like you said, they might take a couple of days, but they won't disconnect because they know they're going to fall behind on stuff versus having the whole business being closed. And that's something that I don't think I ever saw a company do before COVID other than giving everybody the last week of the year off, right? Like the week before right. between Christmas and New Year's, that was right. pretty common for most big companies. But I don't think I ever saw another company say, here's a, a random week off in May, right? We don't want anybody to work. We want everybody to take a week. I never saw that before. And I wonder if you could comment, because you said something to me about this before, about the the pros and cons that came out of COVID in terms of wellness for people in the workplace. Like there are a lot of things that came out of COVID, right? And, and we, right. we didn't see companies really giving comp- you know their people full weeks off before, other than that week between Christmas and New Year's, maybe. Right. We're seeing a lot more of that now because I think companies are re- reacting to needs from people for more wellness, more breaks. What's interesting to me is we didn't see that before COVID. And I think one of the things that we saw is that while people got to spend maybe more time at home, there were a lot of pros that came out of the the pandemic for people, right? Mm -hmm. It also caused people to maybe work a lot more than they ever did before, right? So like thinking about what are some of the pros and cons you saw from a wellness perspective for people coming out of the pandemic? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, like I said, the the pros are really like people feel like they have more flexibility Mm. in a sense um, with their life. You know, like if I need to go pick up my kids at three o'clock, I can go run and do that. No one's going to, you know, balk about it. And I also think that, you know, at the same time, people are kind of rushing back to, you know, we have this you know, everyone's trying to like get back to work and trying to figure out like, what are the new models and what are the new new ways of working essentially? So I think we basically have to figure out like now how we're going to, how we're going to start working again, right? In this new, new wave of model of everybody's coming back to a hybrid, of everybody's coming back, you know, staying remote. But I really think there's an opportunity essentially to really look at what is important for the individual, you know, some people say are responding, saying it was a really bad experience for them being at home. And some people say they love being remote. So I think we need more time for us to really recalibrate and figure out what is going to be the best for that individual. How can we customize this workforce now for the individual, right? Like when we noticed when kids were home, some kids thrived on remote learning. Mm. It was so much better for them because they didn't have any distractions. I know some friends who have kids with learning disabilities where they just absolutely thrived in that environment. Mm. And then there are some that, you know, it didn't work at all. So how are we going to figure out what makes sense again for that individual? I feel like we say we want to be flexible, but then we have all these boundaries and conditions on the workday now, right? right? We still have like this, you know, nine to six, eight to five, whatever it is, workday. And, you know, we're still kind of expecting people to kind of conform into that norm again. But mm-hmm. why can't, what what can we do to really change the mold there? I feel like there's an opportunity when we think about like, can we think about part-time? Why is part-time such a taboo? We had so many women in the workforce leave, right? Mm. And they want to enter back. So how can we give them that flexibility? How can we think about role sharing, for example, as something that might be possible? But all those things are not normalized, right? I think there's an opportunity to really normalize that. And I think there's an opportunity to also tap into some of these 
folks that are, you know, kind of like you see a lot of folks that potentially retired early during COVID. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, you realize that there's all these people with so much experience. And when you look at the data that shows what the workforce will be in 2030, 60% of our workforce will be over the age of 65. Hmm. Think about that. That is a huge statistic, right? You have so many, majority of the people are over that age, but people are working longer. So what can we do to figure out what works for them? I mean, those folks are so, there's so much knowledge, right? They have so much experience, but they don't want to work 40 hours a week. They want to golf half the time, right? Right. (laughs) So what can we do to really flip things on their head to figure out what's a step down career ladder instead of a step up, you know, for people in, in, as they're kind of getting older and kind of, you know, want to, want to get out of the workforce. But I will say there's so many people, including my own parents who are, you know, over 80 and my mom is over 70. My, Mm. My father's over 80 and they're both still working. Wow. You know, but they would love to have more flexibility. Right. Mm. And, and so giving them, giving people those options, I think it's going to be really important as we think about what's next and what's the future of work. So I think that is in some way, when you talk about like, what's the good and the bad, I mean, the good right. is yes, we, we have all these options, but I don't think we're getting deep enough. I think we really can go much deeper with, with what the new way of working could be. Yeah. I think the next few years, the near-term future is going to be very interesting to see what happens because if we're in a place right now coming into the middle of 2022, where I'm seeing a lot of companies bringing people back into the office. Mm-hmm. Some are taking a very flexible approach of you know, respect for what do people want? And if they want to be in the office, great. And if they don't stay home, some are saying, nope, this is all over now and you need to be back in the office at least three days a week and everything in between, right? And we're going to see how employees and people respond to that. And do they accept what is being offered to them or do they try to do something else? And do they end up working more or less? And, you know, with the commutes factored in, it's going to be really interesting to see how the working world changes and how this impacts, you know, how much people work and, you know, taking it back to wellness, are people able to work and still thrive and have a healthy life? Or do we see more people burning out because they still feel pressure to work more than maybe they feel comfortable? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big one. I mean, there's that, there's that integration, right? People talk about work-life balance. It's all about work-life integration, really, you know? So, I mean, how are we going to figure out? I, I mean, the thing is, we've got all these amazing collaborative tools, you know, with Slack and Teams and, you know, Jamboards and all that stuff that we have. And I feel like, you know, again, it's a little disappointing that we haven't really, that we're trying to find the answer so quickly on Mm. what the solution should be. And so I think the next two years, like you said, are going to be this pilot, are going to be people trying to figure it out and what they're going to do and how we can make sure that we're kind of marching in the right direction. Yeah. And how are we creating a culture that is inclusive of everybody, regardless of where they are, which Mm -hmm. the next thing we want to get into is psychological safety, which relates to that topic. But we had a conversation today inside the talent development think tank community about how do we create a culture that is inclusive of people that are both working remotely and working in the office. And you have these meetings, these hybrid meetings in this hybrid environment where people are working in different ways. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's something that we're all going to try to figure out, right? Um, and, and I think there are a lot of things that we can potentially, you know, arm our managers with and support them to figure out, you know, to kind of get some of those things in place. You know, we're talking about 
how do we create an environment that allows people to show up and do the best work of their lives? And you know, wellness is definitely a part of that. We don't want people to burn out. We want people to be happy and healthy and well. The next component of this, as, as we talked about it before, was psychological safety, right? We need that safety where people feel comfortable showing up as themselves to work. So let's start with a definition for those that may not be as familiar, but what does it mean for you at least to be, to create psychological safety and how do we go about creating that? Yeah. So I think in a nutshell, I mean, Amy Edmondson, you know, Harvard professor obviously coined this term, right? Psychological safety. And, and it's really about enabling risk-taking and speaking up with your tentative thoughts around your team members and, and building trust and culture and inclusion, right? And so I think it sounds very simple when you say, oh, well, why don't you just speak up with your tentative thoughts around your team members? But then what does that do, right? Sometimes right. that creates and you feel like you're judged. You know, people will think you're stupid if I ask this question, what have you. So really it's being able to enable and foster that risk-taking in service of, in my mind, a foundation for stronger performance in the end, right? Because, you know, you have, you have more of that risk-taking, more of that trust, more of that inclusion, you, you know, that's, that's a foundation for stronger performance. Yeah, absolutely. It creates so much opportunity. And, and we've had Amy on the show in the past. I think I had her on sometime during, right when the pandemic started in the spring of 2020, I think it was May, 2020, talked about this idea of psychological safety, which is so, so important. Mm -hmm. You talked about this, or maybe it came from her that psychological safety is the engine, not the fuel for performance. So can you explain a little bit more about like what that means? Yeah. I mean, I basically, it's more of like, if, you know, if employees are in a culture in an environment that values their ideas and their actions, then they're more motivated to take on more challenging tasks. So essentially a team psychological safety, you know, promotes team learning and consequently increases the team's effectiveness for really driving the performance. So it's really, again, that, that foundation for, for that performance. And I think, you know, honestly, uh, feedback is also like a huge part of this as well. So, you know, creating an environment where people feel free to speak candidly, you know, as a manager, as, as your peers, et cetera, again, to really help in, in service of, of, of that performance. And you have to have that, that trust with that colleague, right? Yeah, absolutely. What do you think are some misconceptions about psychological safety? Well, I think that means that people feel like we're lowering the bar <laughs> in mm -hmm. some sense, right? Oh, we're giving up on accountability. Oh, I don't feel safe. So I can do this. It's, you know, people kind of think of it as like, it's an excuse, right? But it's really, it's really not at all. I mean, this is, this is so important. If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Safety, it's safety's just right there. And, mm -hmm. and this is just about that, that, that mindfulness, you know, in fact of, of safety. So I think that's, yeah. That's really important is to make sure people understand what it means in the world of work. COVID-19 pandemic and 2020 changed everything in business and talent development. Almost overnight, companies were forced to figure out how to engage their employees remotely and run their development programs virtually. Luckily, Advantage Performance Group has been running a webinar series and releasing free resources throughout the last year and beyond. Advantage is a proud sponsor of the Talent Development Hot Seat. It's known for creating, learning, and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage helps leaders lead, sellers sell, and businesses flourish. To join our webinar series and find more of our free resources, just head on over to AdvantagePerformance.com. That's AdvantagePerformance.com.
So psychological safety is something that certainly leadership and companies can set the tone for that to create a culture that is more inclusive and creates more psychological safety. But I think a lot of it comes down to managers, right? Leaders Absolutely. out there in the field working with their people. How can managers build more psychological safety for their teams? Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot that you can do that's really just like table stakes, for example. So I think one of the, the main things is like, you know, we on our team, we, we start every meeting with some sort of a connector activity, right? To just get to know people, to build trust, build camaraderie. My, one of my favorites is kind of the, the weather report, right? So what's what's going on today? Are you having a sunny day? Or you know what, right now I'm just in the middle of a storm, right? Like, yeah. so people kind of know where you're at and then they can kind of follow through and ask a little bit more about that. I think the next one is really about celebrating thoughtful failure. I, you know, I had this one manager who always wanted to talk about like, your fabulous fail of the week. And so mm. every Friday, you know, we always talk about our highlights. Everyone, what were the highlights of the week? Well, no, what was your what was your fabulous fail? Like what was the thoughtful fit? What was the failure that you had that you absolutely learned from? Right. And so kind of creating that. And, and this is just, you know, these are again basic things you can have on collaboration tools and Slack and all that, where you can just talk about these things. I think the other one is really about role modeling the behavior that you want to see and that vulnerability is so, so important. So a leader who talks about, you know, something that happened or maybe brings a situation to the team and saying, this is what I'm experiencing, you know, and, and, and kind of demonstrating that risk-taking and demonstrating that vulnerability is really important. I think, you know, the, there are, you know, a couple more that I'll highlight, but one is, you know, setting team guidelines. So how do you really build that culture of inclusion and trust? Like what are the team guidelines when we meet as a team? What are our kind of guiding principles that we always want to make sure everybody knows all the time and, and that are available? So I think that's, that's important. And then I think the other thing is how do you embed this into the work, right? So for example, when you're doing a deal review or a project retrospective, where in that is the risk taking? You know, how do we make sure that we're calling that out to say, yeah, you know, we we took this risk and, and here's what happened. And here's, and, you know, these were the results of that, good and bad, and let's talk about it. Um, so I think just making it as part of kind of the work, I think is really important. And then I would say to, to follow through with that, you know, we want to build this culture of psychological safety. We want managers to do all these things. But then what are the implications and reward systems that we have in place to really support that behavior, right? So if we say that we want to make sure people are vulnerable or taking risks, how do we reward that, right? Do people have recognition systems in place that allow them to really amplify essentially those types of behaviors that we really want to see? So mm. I think those are some things. Yeah, those are some great tips and things that managers can be doing. And we can be encouraging managers to be doing to create more psychological safety in their teams, which is going to increase performance and allow people to do better work, really the best work of their lives, which is the goal we're talking about here. Uh, the last component of this that we were going to talk about is performance. And this also mm -hmm. relates to this idea of future of work and where things are going. What have we, what do you think we've learned in the last two years about performance from and performance management as we've gone through this? whole new way of working. Yeah. I mean, gosh, there is so much. I will say, you know, the jury's still out, right? I know during the pandemic, when that happened, a lot of companies pulled out performance management. They thought it was another added level of stress, right? Mm -hmm. And I and so I think a lot of people like made a lighter version or what have you. And now a lot of companies have actually put it back in place. But I will say the one thing is that people, what they've realized is that 
the old model is definitely, you know, the old archaic model of a single performance review, talking once a year about your performance is certainly not working for a lot of companies. So definitely moving away from that and moving into those more frequent conversations and check-ins on a quarterly basis. So people know where they are, where they stand, you know, they know what's what's expected of them. They can talk about careers, they can talk about all those things, but really having that formal conversation for at least four times a year is going to be really important. And then constantly checking in and leveraging those one-on-ones as checkpoints. You know, I think that's really, really important to have that constant dialogue around that. So I would say that, and, you know, obviously looking at different feedback mechanisms has really been important for a lot of companies to think about how do we constantly get that wheel going and build that culture. Yeah. And we talked about earlier, employees want flexibility, right? Like people value that maybe more than ever before. And how do we build that in? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They want that flexibility. I think, you know, feedback comes in, in you could, you kind of have like a, a two pronged approach is one is like, what's the individual and what are the behaviors that they can essentially demonstrate better, but then also it comes in the form of the work, right? So for example, when you do project retros or deal reviews, it's a lot easier to kind of talk about those things because you're not really looking at somebody's, you know, in, it's not taken as an individual attack, if you will, right? That's not the right word, but. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, we things are changing all the time, right? And we've, we've got to build in this level of flexibility and, and try to meet people where they are and continue to make adjustments. Related to that, when it comes to performance management and having these ratings or no ratings, you mentioned some companies pulled those out during the pandemic and maybe they're bringing them back. You've had an experience where you are now where you've basically blown that up, right? And, and taken out the nine box and some of the ratings and changed the way you do some of that stuff. I wonder if you could share some of that and, and see what maybe people can take away from it. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, I think whenever you're obviously building anything performance management related, you really have to look at, you know, multiple variables, right? You have to look at what's, what is the business need? Where, where is the business struggling? What are the behaviors that essentially we need to see? So what's not happening that needs to happen culturally? Um, what kind of culture are we trying to build? And, and thinking about a lot of those variables and then thinking about from a philosophical perspective, right? Like, what are we trying to say as a company where we stand when it relates to performance? Are we paying? for performance or are we not paying for performance, right? So what are those kind of philosophical things that kind of come into place when we think about building something? Um, and so I think, you know, what we what we did was we realized that using a tool like a nine box was really not getting us to the end goal of having those very clear conversations on feedback at the end of the day, right? And at the end of the day, people want to know three things when it comes to performance feedback. They want to know that one, they're appreciated in their work, their work is valued and their work matters. Two, they want some coaching on how to do things even better. And three, they want some sort of evaluation. So in terms of where do I stand and what are the implications into that? Right. So there's a really great book. Thanks for the feedback that, that, you know, is, is, is crucial and kind of talks about these three elements. And so essentially, you know, we realized we weren't getting to that when we were, when we had this nine boxes and, you know, and the calibration meetings were really focused on, well, the person fits in this box. No, they fit in this box. And we're like, why are we trying to fit everyone in a box? You know, <laughs> right. um, what are we really trying to do here? So I think we, 
we kind of took a step back and realized that what's what's important for the company, you know, moving into results orientation, simplifying everything so that the employee really understands where they are. Are they doing what's expected of them? Are they not doing what's expected of them? Where, you know, where can they really rise? What are their, what's their secret sauce, et cetera. So we basically put in, you know, a very simplified kind of rating scale, if you will. And, you know, put in, you know, 360 feedback, kind of, you know, looked at calibrations a little differently. And then, and then basically tied everything, you know, into terms of pay for performance. At the end of the day, people wanted to know, like, how do we, how do we get paid here? You know, what does that mean? And, and thinking about equality and, and so forth. And so there are a lot of, you know, moving parts there, but in, in essence, that's where we're on this journey <laughs> and we're actually, you know, just kind of, kind of getting close to completing that journey, but really also looking at, you know, how do we reward for that? So how do we think about our, you know, our salary, our equity, our grants, our, um, you know, our bonus structure, and what does all that mean when it comes to performance? So kind of tying all those pieces together is really, is really kind of where we are, where we are now. So I think it's, you know, we're we're in a really good place and and people feel like they, they understand what's process, they understand what's expected of them. Um, They're having better conversations and um, we're seeing, we're seeing the fruits of that. So what have the results been that you've seen so far? I mean, is this, is this working well for employees and organization? Yeah, I mean, it's it seems to be working really well. We're really able to differentiate, you know, frankly, our, our top talent, right? And that's really important to be able to do that, to differentiate, because when you have a reward system that's paid for performance, and you want to make sure you're rewarding your, your top talent, and you're not, you know, peanut buttering everybody across the organization, that really, you know, has a lot to do with, with retention, right? So there, there are definitely some, a lot of benefits there that we're, we're seeing. And I think people are happy with the transparency as well, right? Before when we were doing these other, you know, nine box systems, it was this thing in a black hole where nobody really knew what the results of those were. Employees were feeling kind of on edge and uneasy. And so a really big part of it is how do you be transparent? And I think that's, that's the tricky part is because there are a lot of companies that are doing away with performance management systems and, you know, not having a rating all, which is fine. But then how do you explain at the end of the day, why one person got promoted or what their essentially, you know, merit increase was, what was that based off of? And so a lot of times there's these things that are happening behind the scenes, which then cause, you know, uneasiness and transparency, you know, um, with, with the employee. So I think that's, yeah. it's important to have that. Do you have any, in making this transition, I know there's a lot of other people thinking about this. Do you have any tools or resources that you recommend or things that you leverage to, to help you make this happen? Well, I think one of the biggest things that we we did before, you know, in conjunction as we were kind of rolling rolling this out was we really wanted to make sure everybody understood again what's expected of them at every level in the organization. So whether you're an individual contributor or you're a very senior leader, you have a rubric essentially that says, these are the behaviors that we want to see, right? So we basically interviewed, you know, a bunch of people within the company, outside of the company experts, and kind of came up with this rubric. So now everybody has this and it kind of levels the playing field a bit to say, okay, well, I know that if I want to get into, for example, from a, you know, senior director to a VP, this is what's expected of me. And this is the process that I'm going to have to go through, right? So I think those are some of the things where we felt like we developed essentially like for New Relic by New Relic in terms of what we call these leadership accountabilities and behaviors, which really became the pillar in terms of a lot of the things that we were doing around um, around performance. So I think that was, you know, one, one big thing. I think, you know, the other thing is really to understand like 
I always start with the data, look at the data first when you come into the organization and the company and you're trying to build a system, what is the data telling you, you know, and I think that in that spoke miles. <laughs> so, so we were able to kind of look at some of the data and, and then really understand, well, what, what's missing here? What, what seems to be the issue and what do we need to essentially do better? And obviously, you know, change management is, is a huge one. So really getting and making sure that I think a lot of these things, you know, every, every tool, every system, everything that we roll out from an HR perspective is essentially a business imperative. That means when HR walks away, the business realizes, oh my God, I really need that thing. You know, I really need that tool to be able to strategically plan for, you know, the future or whatever. So example, if you look at like succession planning and some of the other things that we do around performance, I need all these things because it helps me strategically plan for the future and talent plan for the future. And I think when you can make things a business imperative, that is really going to be is, is critical to, to success right. of any. Yeah. Kind. As with anything we're doing in talent management, talent development, you make it a business imperative, connect it back to the strategy, show leadership, mm-hmm. how it business, how it benefits our strategy and our business and our finances overall, they're going to be a lot more incentivized and motivated to, to help you take action on that. Well, mm-hmm. Shauna, this has been a really great conversation. I know there's a lot of great information here to help people think through how do they help their people do the best work of their lives, do great work inside their organizations. We talked about wellness. We talked about psychological safety. We talked about performance management and a few things in between. I still have a few more questions for you. We're going to ask in our bonus round, but for now, we're going to wrap things up. And for anybody wants to reach out to you and has questions about the work you did in converting talent management, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Is, is it LinkedIn or something else? Yeah. LinkedIn would be perfect. I'd be happy to chat. Absolutely. All right, great. We'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile in there. Make sure you connect with Shauna on LinkedIn and make sure you're following me and connected with me on LinkedIn. If you're not already, I'm sharing content on a regular basis, especially and including some of the things that we're learning from this podcast each and every week. Shauna, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Loved it. Thank you, Andy. That will do it for my conversation with Shauna Sharon about how to create an environment that allows people to show up and do their best work. We, of course, talked about psychological safety. We talked about performance and the future of work. We talked about the three things for performance feedback, appreciation, coaching, and evaluation. And we talked about a number of other things in there that can really help you be an enabler of people to show up and do their best work. We talked about wellness and mindfulness in there as well. What was your biggest takeaway? What was something that you want to take back to your work in whatever you're doing? I know there were a few things that I'm certainly going to be thinking about. And I love this ongoing conversation that's happening now about psychological safety and wellness, something that, you know, maybe even five years ago, we weren't talking about very much, if at all, in large companies. And now it's become much more common of a conversation. By the way, these are topics that we are discussing on a regular basis inside the Talent Development Think Tank community, which I run. This community I started back in I think May of 2020, it's been, uh, we're coming up on two years now. Actually, it's been two years now since we started the community, a little more than two years since our first conference in January 2020, the Talent Development Think Tank. And it's all about community. It's all about interacting. It's all about learning from each other. Shauna has been a member of our community since the very beginning for the last two years, and we've got to know each other quite well. And there really are so many great members in this community at all different levels from different industries, different backgrounds, sharing their knowledge, asking questions, and really learning from each other. And that is 
what it's all about. We have conversations on different topics each week, including sessions we've done on psychological safety and DEI and inclusion and on wellness and on performance management and all kinds of other subjects that can help you in your talent development career. So if you're not a member and you think you could benefit from belonging to a community of talent development professionals who are looking to lift each other up and support each other in our careers, then I'd love for you to come check us out. Our website is tdtt.us, as in Talent Development Think Tank, tdtt.us. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or send me an email to find out more. I think there's even a link on our website to book time with me if you have questions and want to figure out if it's the right fit or which level would be the best fit for you. Again, the website is tdtt.us. Our podcast is also sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is a professional services firm dedicated to providing a continuous stream of creative learning and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to the do the best at what they do. It's really all about helping and enabling people to do really great work. And Advantage has all kinds of fantastic experiential learning programs that you can implement inside your organization, both in person and virtually, as well as a ton of great webinars and free learning opportunities that are happening regularly. If you just go to their website, advantageperformance.com, that's advantageperformance.com. They've got a beautiful website with all kinds of different resources in there. And there might be something there that could be helpful for you. So go check it out, advantageperformance.com. I used to be a partner there. I've done a lot of work with Advantage over the years and always impressed with the content and the solutions that they put out. They have been our main sponsor since the very beginning of this show back in 2018. And I'm proud that they are still a sponsor today. So go check them out, advantageperformance.com. All right, thank you again for listening. Tune in next time we have a bonus Q&A episode with Shauna about her career in talent development. Stay tuned. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again. Take care.